know our body's beautiful. I know God gave us perfect bodies. I know our bodies can heal themselves. I know that. I know if I break a bone, it's going to heal. I know if I cut myself, it's going to scab over and heal. Why have we been so duped into believing that there's other illnesses we can't heal from? That's my question for people. This is Gail Lynn, and you're listening to the Lifestylist Podcast. Welcome one and welcome all. I'm your faithful host, Luke Story, and we're about to blast off on another intergalactic journey on the Lifestylist Podcast. This is episode 445, Inside the Harmonic Egg, a journey of healing and transformation featuring Gail Lynn. Show notes, links, and complete written transcripts have been carefully prepared for you to add to your experience, and you can find them at lukestory.com slash gail. Our guest, Gail Lynn, is the inventor of the harmonic egg, which uses sacred geometry, light, color, and sound frequencies to empower the body's own healing energy. It's definitely one of the coolest innovations I've come across in my exploration of this category of technology. And uh, I knew the moment I had my first egg session that I just had to track down its creator and talk to her and share that conversation with you. So that's exactly what I did. And here's just a taste of the rabbit holes we burrow into on this one. My first harmonic egg journey and the lasting impression it left. How Gail was unwittingly chosen by Source to be the inventor and steward of the harmonic egg. The surreal story of her marrying Elvis's stepbrother and making a Hollywood film about his life. Gail's background in engineering. And how a traumatic car accident allowed Gail to download the remaining knowledge needed to finish the egg. The interwoven stories between the egg, Wilhelm Reich, Nikola Tesla, and other wellness tech pioneers, how astrology, sacred geometry, scalar waves, chakras, music, and colors were all rolled into one fantastic machine, how Gail applies the divine feminine business model that places cooperation over competition, how sacred geometry affects our DNA, and the power of the 369 numerical code used in the egg's creation, why she chose to avoid using MP3 formatted music in the egg, and what she did instead, and why she advises to not take psychedelic journeys inside an egg, and so much more. This is a wild one, family. I simply love discovering people like Gail and sharing their magic with you. And if this conversation lights you up and you become uh, harmonic egg curious, go to lukestory.com slash harmonic egg to find an egg center near you, or if you're really into it, grab one of your own. Now let's get ready to drop into the mind and heart of Gail Lynn on the Lifestylist podcast. Please keep your hands inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. Gail Lynn, here we are. We're doing the damn thing. Here we are. And Bailey said it was about two years later now. Yeah, since we first had our conversation. Right. Um, And I know we've texted a bunch and things like that, so it's really nice to meet you. So we're going to be talking about your journey today and what led you to the creation of this really fascinating technology called the harmonic egg. And um, it is described on your website, at least, as uh, the harmonic egg uses sacred geometry, light, color, and sound frequencies to empower the body's own healing energy. And as someone who's done, I don't know, probably five or six sessions, I can verify that that is in fact true. I also wanted to give a shout out to Latitude 34 back in my uh, former home city of Los Angeles with Deborah and Greg there. She told me to tell you hello. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't remember where I first saw the egg, but the minute I saw a photo of it, it was just, 
you know, I'm immediately, I have to try that. It's just kind of how I am. And I, I think I'm pretty sure they were the first ones I tracked down. I was like, oh, cool. You don't have to be able to actually afford one of these yourself, which would be nice. And I'm sure a few people do, uh, but you can actually go and do sessions. And so I did that. And then I also went to, I uh, found one here in Austin. For those listening, I think their Instagram is eggatx. And it's called the Ophelia, Ophelia Center. Center. Yeah. Yes, Named yes, after yes. the egg. Yeah. And a really lovely woman whose name I forget at the moment. Do you Melinda. remember? Melinda. Melinda. Yeah. Melinda helped me out and kind of did my intake and little consultation. And uh, yeah, man, 99 bucks, sat in there for 50 minutes and was a really great reset. It's about probably about 40, 45 minutes from my house because it's on the other side of um, Lake Travis. Uh, but every time, every time I sit in this thing, I'm just like, oh, this is amazing. I need to do more of this. And speaking of that, Bailey, we need to get you in for a, a trip while you're here visiting as well. So those are the shout outs. Uh, and we're going to get into what the egg is and how you created it. But I want to just go back a little bit into your your youth uh, in the 70s in Detroit and you know how you almost went into the auto industry and ended up in engineering. I think a lot of those pieces kind of um, coalesced to you now actually creating this, you know, quite sizable piece of equipment. You know, the harmonic egg will take up a room, you know? I mean, it's like, you have to know something about engineering. So take us back. And, and while we're at it, um, where I got all the information about you is from stalking you now. Uh, it's from reading your book, Unlocking the Ancient Secrets to Healing, which I got a couple copies of a couple years ago, probably when we met. And so I was going back and reviewing it today. And I was like, oh man, she has some great freaking stories in here. So we have to cover some of that um, before we get into the actual technology. So, you know, where'd you come from? How did you get your start here? Um, well, born in 1970, like you, Woo-hoo. October 28th. I'm 29th. I know. Damn. I know, yeah. It's super funny. Scorpio, Scorpio power. Scorpio, yep. Rad. Yep. Don't tell me you were born in Denver. No. Okay. Detroit. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that's where you lived as a kid as well. Right. I grew up, um, you know, pretty humble beginnings. My dad had a seventh grade education in the automotive industry. And my mom had a high school diploma. Basically told me, you know, you don't need to get a college education. You just need to work in the automotive industry and get a pension and retire. And, you know, your life is grand and you work hard for every penny you make. And my dad used to tell me, you're just trying to buy steaks with hamburger money. You know, why are you doing that? You're never going to amount to anything. Just get the job at the automotive industry and retire. And it just didn't feel right. It never felt right. Doesn't feel right to me sitting here. No, (laughs) no. And so I said, I got to get out of here. So, you know, I was trying any exit to get out of the Detroit area. And I just knew there was more to life. And I did a lot of mentoring and coaching. But working in automotive in the 80s, it's, it's a man's world. So a lot of sexual harassment. So it toughened my skin pretty good, which I love. I love that I can, you know, I've had all these journeys and challenges. It's great. And so I found a way out to get into telecommunications and moved to Texas. I was probably making $20,000 a year. And when I came into automotive, I was just a little kid. I was 17, 18 years old. So I had a lot of dads. And so when I was trying to leave, they're like, oh, no, you're not going to make it in the world. You got to stay here and keep doing this. And it wasn't the plant, but it was a supplier, um, Automotive, United Technologies Automotive. And so I get a fax letter onto the fax machine into the office, and it was for $84,000. From 20 some thousand to $84,000, i am like, I'm going to have to go for this. 
And I never looked back. I told my parents, I'll probably be back in six months. Let me just make some money and I'll come back. And 10 years in Dallas, Texas, uh, working for GTE, which is now Verizon, as a contractor, built an international telecommunications consulting firm, married. Um, We should have stayed business partners, kind of didn't really work out as a marriage. So we were really good business partners. And um, when we were traveling all over the world, we did contracts in Egypt. It was just, it was a beautiful life. And when I got down there, his mom was a literature teacher. And I found out work, you know, living in Detroit and my family not being super educated, I said things like, I seen that. I had went there. <laughs> now where's, I look at Where's it at? My mom used to always get on my case saying, where's it at? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> so being that I'm married to this guy whose mom is a literature teacher, I think she cringed every time she heard me speak, right? Um, so it was really funny. So that education, work, you know, living with him and coming from the Detroit area was a whole nother education. He was a shaman and he taught me so much about um, Carlos Castanados and Buckminster Fuller and all these different energies that I never heard of and reading books by Ayn Rand and um, Ray Bradbury. It just wasn't introduced to me. In Detroit, you're kind of trained to be an automotive worker. So it was amazing. And we were traveling all over the world. We go into Peru. He asks me for a divorce, falls in love with the tour guide there. It's almost surreal. Like my life is stranger than fiction, right? This is, is this Travis from the book? Okay. Names have been changed. Okay. <laughs> wink, wink. Okay. I'm just trying to yeah. track this yeah, story yeah. here. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, okay, so now what? I'm, I'm what were in, you guys doing in Peru? So in Peru, we were on a spiritual journey. He wanted to rewire his brain. And he literally was a rocket scientist. He worked for NASA. Wanted to rewire his brain, do the ayahuasca, do the, the poison frog you yeah. know, energy in the yeah. Amazon. And I chose to come later on instead of sleeping in the Amazon with, I heard, spiders as big as paper plates. No, I think I'll pass <laughs> on that. Um, so when I got there a week later, he, I landed... And he was acting real strange and just kept staring at another girl across the room. Staring, I'm like, okay, what's up? He's like, I want a divorce. Wow. I fell in love with this girl. I'm like, at a, at you could have told retreat. me before <laughs> I got all the way to Peru, right? Oh, man. So truth is stranger than fiction, right? Do you, do you think that that realization came to him in the, in, in the journey space that he was uh, working with down there? No. 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 You think he just got the hots for another girl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I didn't want to be too crude. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've heard stories of, of, and I'm like, I hope this never happens to me because I love my wife so much. I'm, I don't think there's anything lurking in my subconscious that would indicate otherwise. But I do hear uh, every once in a while of someone going through a really profound, um, you know, transcendent experience and realizing, you know, maybe it's their romantic relationship or their career or something and they walk out of there and and change things. And I've heard it's, advised now I'd agree in most cases that when you have an experience like that, maybe don't change anything major right away. (laughs) Because you never know what kind of energies are, you know, um, influencing your decisions, you know. But anyway, he just kind of... It was brilliant. It was a brilliant gift. Um, It gives me a story to tell people, but also that I can relate to people who have these... And to me, it was trauma. And... So our guide was Peter Gorman. A lot of people know Peter Gorman and, you know, Peru. And, and he wouldn't let me do the ayahuasca ceremony because I was angry. 
And he was right. You don't want to do that when you're angry and, you know, when you're going through this trauma. It could have been a really bad, you know, trip. Mm-hmm. So it was a really interesting journey and I didn't get to do it. And I've really not been attracted to plant medicine since I found sound and light therapy, which to me is a natural high. As you know, from being in the yeah. egg, there's, I think you said, if you want to trip balls, which yeah. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but when you said, if you want to trip balls, try this harmonic egg. Yeah. And yeah. and I was like, who's this Luke Story guy? He's tripping yeah. balls in the harmonic egg. What does yeah. that even mean? So, yeah. Quite funny. I, that, I don't remember that, but it sounds like something I would say. Yeah. Um, and that has, in fact, been the case uh, with most of my sits. Okay. So I guess, you know, in that, in that relationship, right, there was, I'm sure, a lot of lessons that you extracted out of that. But what gets me about that is that this this gentleman introduced you to esoteric teachings and shamanism and Buddhism and things like that. Do you look back on that, you know, the loss of that relationship now in a, in a positive sense and that he was, you know, a messenger for you at that time in your life? Or what, what was your takeaway from that when it was all said and done? Absolutely. I... um honor him and I don't have any regrets in my life. Everything that I've been put through has led me to where I am today and who I am today. I wouldn't be who I am today without him. So I look at it that way because I think it's beautiful. It's a beautiful gift, a beautiful gift that he gave to me. And I will always honor that gift. And he had children. So I had stepchildren and I still talk to them. They're beautiful. Oh, cool. So it's really, really, it was really a gift. And earlier in life, and I kind of skipped over this because I know the story gets really trippy here very soon, um, but you had some challenges with asthma and physical illness um, in your book, also some pretty negative experiences in your Catholic school, um, you know, before this uh, abandonment scenario with this gentleman in Peru. It sounds like you went through some pretty tough stuff before that even happened. Maybe you could illuminate some of the stuff that uh, went on earlier. Well, we had, um, um, I was raised Catholic, so the Catholic Church, and there was a priest who would take groups of teens to Aspen every year, and we would have this 10-day ski trip, and they were called the Skiing Saints, and so I was kind of vulnerable, and when I listened to your interview with Gabor, I realized some things that were, became more clear that I think I put out an energy of a victim. And so here I was 14 years old. We're sitting in a van. So the first group would drive out and fly back. And the second group would fly out and drive back. But he would stay the whole maybe 20 days. And he started putting his hand on my leg and putting his hand on my butt. And I'm like, oh, what's happening here? Um, I didn't know what to do. And so I'm 14 years old. He's whispering in my ear. He's wanting me to sit on his lap, kiss him. I'm like, oh, not comfortable with this. I called my mom, but my mom wasn't very worldly. And I said, I need to come home. And she said, I don't know how to get you home. Like you have a plane ticket and you're in Colorado. I'm in Michigan. I don't know how to get you home. I'm like, mom, I'm scared. And I'm like, this guy's laying on top of me in my bed. And she's like, no, it can't be true. And um, sorry, I get emotional. And he did this to so many kids, so many. When I came home and I said, um, this happened. No, it didn't. Don't ever bring this up again. This does not happen. And so I told my friends, I said, you need, you need to say something. And they said, we saw what just happened to you. We're not going to say anything. So it went on for you know years. And 
there's so many complaints and he finally did get kicked out of the church and my mom had seen him years later and she said, I just want to punch him right in the face. But I said, you don't believe me when I told you. And nobody would really stand up and say anything. So that was really tough. And I walked away from God because when you're 14 years old, that is God. The priest is God. So comically, you know, I come into, you know, meeting a shaman. And then after our divorce, I end up meeting and dating an evangelist. Right, right. Well, that's, you know, that's, um, I mean, any kind of abuse of that nature is obviously just horrific. And I know that from personal experience, but it's kind of a, it's almost, I don't know if you can scale how wrong something is, but the spiritual betrayal of that, I think adds another, another layer, Mm -hmm. right? Because of your association with this particular, you know, (laughs) um, supposed representative of God of spirituality. I mean, you have the scar of the trauma and all of the shame and your parents, you know, non-reaction and, inability to intervene, but man, to be turned away from God in such a profound way could have a, another whole cascade of detrimental effects on someone's life, you know? So you meet this other guy though, thankfully, who starts to introduce, you know, other avenues into spirituality that don't involve a pedophile priest. <laughs> Why is it always the priest? I, well, you know, that, I don't you know. know. It's not I don't always. Know. Mine but, wasn't you know, a priest. But, to me, it was a gift because yeah. I got to help other people who've had similar experiences. So I feel like all the the asthma, the migraines, all the health conditions that I researched for myself, I was able to help other people get through, you know, molestations. And, you know, I know I can't relate to a rape, but I also can help them with, you know, the healing trauma. And that's kind of how the egg got created with how can I help these people when their root cause is trauma, even though they have a named illness from the medical industry, right? Yeah. Do you think that uh, the trauma you experienced had anything to do with your asthma and different physical issues you were having or were those before that had happened? So I had asthma when I was four. Uh, We realized I had asthma when I was four, but my dad was an alcoholic. My mom was, uh, you know, very angry and there would be plates flying across the room. My dad's driving away on the sidewalk, running over stop signs. You know, I'm running out the door trying to chase him. And, you know, so there was a lot of that. Yeah. Um, But it's not my story anymore. Yeah. I think we can release this stuff from a cellular level so we can lift the veil and be who we truly are. And what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Amen, sister. Yeah. Take us to the future wherein you meet this um, evangelist, uh, you know, public speaker who was Elvis's half-brother. Is this Step-brother. Step-brother, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where your story, and oftentimes I just skip people's story and I'm just like, just talk about your thing, you know, because I want to go really deep into that. But this part of the story was just too intriguing to me. And you, you know, you told a number of stories in the book about it, but uh, what happened? How'd you meet this guy? You start traveling with him. Give me, give me some of the juice on, on El- Elvis's, you know, post-death orbit as you experienced it. Well, and I didn't want to write the book with my name on it. I literally wanted it to be anonymous. But my editor said, well, how are you going to do interviews and podcasts and, and promote this egg? And I said, I don't know, but the egg wants this information in the book. And, and she said, people need to know who you are, who the inventor is. And I realize that now. So when I got back from Peru, I was angry, to say the least. And everything I built with this gentleman just was done. 
And he was older because when you're molested by a man who's 43 years years old, older than you, I tended to just be attracted to older men. So this was a pattern. And when I went to therapy, she said, well, it's father issues. I'm like, Father Brennan, not my dad. You know, it's the priest's father. So I get back from Peru and I'm angry and I go to lunch with my girlfriend to the Chinese restaurant and I see next door, it says, ladies self-defense kickboxing. I'm like, oh, I need that. I can get some of that stuff, right? So um, I signed up for the class. It was a Kempo Karate school, which not a lot of people know that Elvis was an eighth degree black belt in Kempo Karate. And a lot of his moves on stage are Kempo moves. Oh, really? It's hilarious. Oh, that's funny. You'll see him do those little moves and they're Kempo moves. Oh, wow. And they're just the techniques that we do. And so um, David Stanley was announced as one of our teachers for a weekend seminar and they said he's Elvis's stepbrother. And I rolled my eyes. Yeah, Nobody knows Elvis. It's like knowing Mickey Mouse, right? Right, yeah. So he comes into the school and, you know, he had a little bit of crush on me and, you know, this was going on and I said, you're not Elvis's stepbrother. Come on. Like, who are you? So he ends up the next day bringing in these books. This is me and Elvis. This is me and Elvis. This is me and I'm like, oh, sorry. Didn't really believe you. So he was a motivational speaker, evangelist. And when Elvis passed away, he was left with like, I don't even know if he, I think he did finish high school. But that's all he knew was Elvis. From ages four until Elvis passed away, Elvis was his life. And so he was doing this motivational speaking. What do you want to be when you grow up? Do your dream. So I asked him, what is your dream? And he said, how can I do my dream? My, if my father figure was Elvis and people want to do something bigger and better than their father or their, you know, their parent, what can I do? And I said, you, there's got to be something you can do that Elvis couldn't do. Nope. Elvis could do anything. So we kind of came to the conclusion that Elvis would have liked to direct a film, but Colonel Parker wouldn't let him. So I said, I guess you're directing a film. And he said, okay, have you ever made a movie? I said, no, it can't be that hard. Stupidest statement I ever made. Making a TV commercial is hard. <laughs> I know from personal I do experience. not like editing. I will tell you that. Yeah. It's too tedious and boring. I don't either. That's why someone else will edit this. Yeah. So, um, so I meet him and he says, okay, well, let's do this movie. And it took seven years. Um, we raised $3 million and we ended up shooting a film in LA. And it was the most magical experience, but the most stressful, hard experience of my life. I almost had a nervous breakdown. I mean, it was just hard. And we ended up premiering it at um, film festivals. We walked a red carpet. We did the whole thing. It came out on DVD, never went to theater. And I would say that I would do it again, but I would never do it again. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And this film was about uh, Elvis's Hmm? stepbrother or about Elvis or their relationship? Basically, it was a 16-year-old boy, goes on tour with his world-famous stepbrother, who's Elvis Presley, and protects him from everything but ultimately himself. No one can protect Elvis from himself. Got it. Could do you think people could find this online anywhere? Yeah, like, it's called it, protecting the king. Oh, it's yeah, out there. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm gonna watch it. It's I a was, hard movie. I was telling you, I just watched the uh, the feature. What was that called? the The recent Elvis feature. It was just called Elvis. Yeah. Well, appropriate. Uh, and I loved it, and Allison loved it too. It was just a really 
I didn't know that much about Elvis and it was, I mean, it's a movie, so you don't know how much of yeah. it is true, but it was, uh, it was very creative and, and really well done. So, I, I mean, I would have liked it if it was a fictional character, right? It was just, a, it was an interesting movie. But um, perhaps most interesting for me was how this Colonel Parker character really not only just interfered so terribly with his career and finances and all that, but prevented him from leaving the country and as a result, got him these, you know, kind of stifling um, residencies in Vegas. And that's kind of when I was a kid, the Elvis I remember was a guy who's overweight and drinking and just plays in Vegas for old people. You know what I mean? Like watching that movie, I was like, ah, God, if it hadn't have been for this Parker character, you know, Elvis might be around today. He'd be like a, you know, a little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis, yeah. you know, Chuck Berry. I mean, some of them aren't around, but, you know, he was of that era and just sadly, um, you know, through that course of events, um, met his, you know, untimely demise. We were talking about the the charisma of of Elvis before and how you feel that he, I mean, obviously had something very special. What, this is kind of a, you know, digression from the topic here, but since we got into it earlier, what what's your take on what, what his magic was or anything that you, you know, you learned about him from his stepbrother that is interesting to you at this point? Well, I think if there's somebody, and I'm not really starstruck, you know, everybody puts their pants on the same way. Um, but if there was somebody that I would say I would have loved to meet, it would have been Elvis. Um, so you have this kid who's in his 20s who, if you think about when you're in your 20s, you're not really spiritual. You're not thinking that way. But he recognized how powerful Elvis's presence was. And he said the day that he passed away, he drove up to the house and he knew Elvis wasn't in the building, but he knew he was in there. So he ran to the house, ran upstairs, and Elvis was gone. But he said, just pulling into the, into the driveway, you couldn't feel him anymore. He said, you could feel Elvis walk into a room. And I feel like that's one of the gifts that David has given to me is this, the, the charisma, the stage presence, how to be more extemporaneous in your communication. And of course, I failed miserably at a lot of it. Um, David would go in and not take notes. And one day I went to a networking event and I said, I'm going to throw my notes away. I had 30 minutes. I remember about probably three minutes into it, I was lost. I'm like, oh, how many <laughs> minutes do I have left? And I'm dying. I'm uh, just dying. That's right? the kiss of death if you're public speaking. You're like, and how much more time do I have? <laughs> you know, not because you're on a roll, but because horribly. you're running out of stuff. Yeah. You know, oh, I threw God. my notes away. I got real cocky. I'm like, I can do this. If David can do this, I could do this. Threw my notes away. Failed miserably. But David would tell stories. I met most of the Memphis Mafia. Um, a lot of them have passed now. Uh, Lamar Fike was the one that I probably knew the best, but they will, they said they'll take stories about Elvis to their grave. They were always in protection mode of Elvis. And some of the stories they told me were horrific and, and lovely. So David would say he was the meanest person he ever met and the nicest. But David, even in, tw in the 20s, um, in his 20s, understood that Elvis was always searching. He read the Book of Mormon. He read, you know, the King James Bible, the Holy Bible. And he was always searching because he was a twin when he was born. And he never really realized, why did I live and the twin didn't? He didn't understand why people wanted to rip his clothes off. And he was probably some kind of a biblical character if you hear the stories. So as a 20-year-old kid, they're laying by the pool. The, the sun gets um, blocked by the clouds. And David would say, Elvis, 
You know, the clouds need to move and Elvis would just put his hand up and move the clouds. These are the stories I've heard. I don't know. I wasn't there. He said they'd be driving down the road. Elvis, it's raining. He would just part the rain. It'd be raining on both sides of the road. Is this true? He told me the story about a guy who put his hand over his leg and he had a broken leg and he healed. Was Elvis really a healer? And that's why we still remember him 30-some years after his passing? To me, it's amazing. And I feel like I felt his energy once after the movie, after David was so proud of having done this movie and doing something that Elvis couldn't do. I try not to cry. Um, I felt the strong presence. And it was like, thank you. And I feel like it was Elvis. It was a very strong presence just thanking me for helping David find himself. Because David always said, I don't know who likes me for who I am or because of who I am. And just imagine being Lisa Marie Presley. Who likes you because you were Elvis's daughter or you are Elvis's daughter or because you're Lisa Marie and you have your own identity? It would be so hard to live in that shadow. For sure. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that stuff. Thinking about, um, you know, reflecting on that recent film of how young Elvis was too. You know what I'm saying? It's like you watch what fame these days does to many people. I mean, it takes a certain fortitude of character, I think, to remain grounded individually when you reach that level of of success and notoriety. Um, But then there's also the infrastructure that you need around you to insulate you and protect you. And obviously in the case of Elvis, there was at least one person that did the exact opposite of that, you know? So it's, yeah, it's a... Something I think about often is um, I'm really glad I never got famous, you know, when I was a kid. I mean, I wanted to be a rock star. I moved to Hollywood and did all that. And it wasn't so much about being famous, really. It was more about I didn't want to have a straight job. And I just wanted to make money playing music. And that requires being famous. You know what I mean? But, oh, God, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Even sometimes I go to like these health conferences and there's a lot of people that want to say hi, you know, and it's like a microcosm of, you know, a microcosm of our culture. And even that, I'm just like, wow, imagine if you were an actual celebrity where you can't go anywhere without people kind of wanting something from you. That would just be exhausting. It would be. I mean, even though like people are like, oh, Luke Story, you're going to meet Luke Story. And like my boyfriend will say, oh, she's famous. When he's, you know, somebody will come up to the table and they'll say, what do you do? And he's like, she's famous. I'm like, no. In my <laughs> little tiny world, I might be a little bit famous, but not on the level of Elvis. And I had uh, a period of friendship with Beth Bolin, whose father and family owned the Denver Broncos. And I was attacked by the media. And the lies that they tell about you and the accusations they make about you, I said, Beth, I don't even know how you do it. And she said, you wouldn't believe what they've said about my family and about, you know, everybody. I'm like, I can't. At the little tiny small scale that I got to experience it on, I would not want to be famous either. Yeah. Let's you and I just fly under the radar. and <laughs> You only need a few people to support your work. Right, you, right. Know? you don't need the whole freaking world. You guys tune in to uh, listen to me ask our guest questions every week. Well, let me ask you a quick question. Do you know if you're getting enough magnesium? Because four out of five Americans, at least, are not. And that blows hardcore because magnesium is involved in more than 600 biochemical reactions in the human body. 
So let's examine a couple of the most common signs to look for that could indicate you're magnesium deficient. There are literally dozens of symptoms of magnesium deficiency, so here are just a few of the most common ones. Are you irritable or anxious? Do you struggle with insomnia? Do you experience muscle cramps or twitches? Do you have high blood pressure? Are you sometimes constipated? Well, you could likely fix most of these things by taking more magnesium, but the bummer is that taking any old mag supplement won't likely get you up to speed. That's why I exclusively recommend Magnesium Breakthrough. It's the only full-spectrum magnesium supplement with seven unique forms of magnesium that your body can actually use and absorb. So that's good news, but it gets even better. The makers of Magnesium Breakthrough, Bioptimizers, are having an awesome Black Friday special offer from November 21st through the 29th. During this period, you can get not only Magnesium Breakthrough, but all of the Bioptimizers products for 25% off. To get dialed in, go to bioptimizers.com slash Luke and enter the code Luke10 to get 25% off any order. Now, if you're hearing this a bit late and you missed the special offer, don't worry because there is always a 10% off for my listeners with the code Luke10. But if you're hearing this in time, again, the link for the exclusive Black Friday offer starting November 21st, 2022 is buyoptimizers.com slash Luke and the code is Luke10. Now get on this while supplies last and try not to miss that November 29th deadline. Thank you for uh, entertaining me with some of the backstory there. Uh, before we move on to that, and I, you know, obviously want to get into the creation of the egg and and all the things. Um, what ended up being the lesson from that relationship with the, with this uh, David man? You know, what did what did you take away from that in terms of your own ambition and and things that led you to actually be the innovator that you are now? I think it was doing your dream. And I realized that I was building everybody else's dream. First, I worked in automotive for somebody else. And then I helped my ex, Travis, build his dream of having an international consulting company. And then I was helping David build his dream. And I had to reflect and say, what is my dream? How do I build my own dream? And I just got into dysfunctional relationship after dysfunctional relationship with these powerful men, narcissistic, sociopathic men, who um, I would be behind them, pushing them forward, but they were taking all the credit. And I don't need the credit. I don't need the credit for the egg. I feel like the egg was just a download. And I was just there listening when the, the lightning bolt hit my head, right? So I feel like what I took away was, you know, just stay humble and do good things for people and try to make a difference in the world and you don't need recognition for it. What led to the creation of the harmonic egg? I'm going to fast forward, I'm sure, a considerable amount of time. I think the biggest thing was my health condition after the filming of the movie and just really feeling horrible and just feeling like my heart was always racing. Something was definitely wrong. And then I met the inventor of a light box that was in Arizona. And he really wanted some notoriety from somebody like David Stanley. So he invited us to come up to Arizona and use the technology and give a testimonial. And I thought, oh my gosh, like this thing in just a weekend helped bring my heart rate variability test back into normal ranges for my sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. 
I'm an engineer, you know, from my early career. And it just didn't make sense in my head. How could this do this? So I went on this journey because I saw that within a few sessions, my asthma was gone. Like I said, I had it when I was four. Wow. When I got back to uh, Texas where I lived, I was riding my bicycle, got up the hill and I'm like, I'm not out of breath. What happened to my asthma? Of course, you give that, when you say it's my asthma, you give it an address. So I've learned now, everything can heal. Our body doesn't know disease by name. It's a trauma. It's an imbalance. It's something that I think the body can heal naturally from anything. So when I started to see how does sound and light affect the body, we're vibrational beings of light. Healing with sound and light made sense. So I started digging into the research and read hundreds of books. And then I purchased two of the light boxes and opened up a center because I wanted to help people heal the way that I was healed. The migraines, I mean, they were debilitating for 23 years. They started when I was 17. And it would be the loss of the eyesight, the optical migraine, and then the pain came on for 15 hours. You know, things coming out of my mouth, coming out of my other the other side. <laughs> It was just horrendous. It, it, you know, you almost just wanted to blow your head off. And I can't imagine how people have these migraines sometimes a couple times a week. So I started digging into that and started seeing how if you balance the autonomic nervous system, and it's called dysautonomia, that those migraines can be helped. Migraines can be heavy metals. They can be a food that you eat. They can be from sh- inflammation of sugar. They can be a non-rashing shingles virus in the, you know, in the brain. There's so many different reasons people get migraines. So I started to be a private investigator and a researcher. So as I'm using the light box, I'm also seeing that the light being used isn't consistent. It's like all a painted light bulb with rainbow-colored lights, which seems a little crazy that it would even work. And then the music was MP3 files, so they were cold and clinical, kind of cut off the frequencies. You weren't you 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 know music, so you weren't getting the full integrity of the music. And then people were laying flat on their back. And people who are heavy, that's really hurtful on their back. They get up and then their back hurts. So it was just listening to my clients, listening to everything that they were complaining about, about the light box. And then I said to the inventor, you know, we need 360 degrees of healing. And he said, oh yeah, I got another invention coming up. Okay. Well, then I come to find out he's tapped into my crown chakra. I'm exhausted all the time. Two months go by and I get a, a shaman who says, we need to clear this energy. There's somebody tapped into your crown chakra. So for what? Pulling information from you. What information? Uh, you're going to invent some kind of device. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not. I'm not inventing anything. That must have sounded really crazy to an engineer. too. <laughs> you're coming from the world of hard physics, physical physics, not quantum physics, you know. Absolutely. I thought these yeah. people were a little crazy. Yeah. And so, um, you know, did this clearing and I really wanted to bring this person with me. You know, I want, I felt like, you know, he was a teacher for me and I know, you know, no man left behind, right? And when somebody helps me, I want to be that loyal person and bring them forward. But it was, uh, it wasn't possible. If he wasn't in charge, it wasn't going to happen. And so I just had to kind of leave him behind. And, but I was sad. It felt disloyal. It felt bad to me. And so another shaman came in and said, you need to have a past life reading and find out why you're here. And I said, okay. Well, who does past life readings? Norm Sheely, medical doctor, partner with Carolyn Mice. 
And so I call him up and I said, who's the best person I can go to to really learn about why I'm here and what is coming through these downloads? And he said, well, I'm the second best you know, in the United States. I said, well, I'll take second best. So I flew to Missouri, met with him, do this past life regression. And I come to find out that the light box inventor was my son in Egypt and had created my first sound therapy device for me when he was my son and I was the mother. And I always felt like it was a very motherly relationship. And so everything made sense. And of course, I started crying and it just felt like everything at that moment just came in and said, ah, now I know what I'm doing, why I'm here, what this modality is that's coming through. Almost like a sarcophagus chamber, you know, the Holy Grail, where in Egypt they had sound healing and the Aborigines had sound healing. So many different cultures had sound healing 40,000 years ago. I find that so interesting when they dig up these instruments and archaeological sites and no one knows how to play them even, you know what I mean? It's weird flutes and drums and all kinds of instruments, you know, and they're going, uh, how do you make noise out of this thing? And then they find someone that can, right? Some person that still, you know, is in touch with their lineage and they pick it up and go, oh yeah, this thing, you know, like I the love, didgeridoo? I love, yeah, that's a great example, yeah. right? I mean, then, you know, people, Westerners subsequently have learned how to play it, but, you know, it's something that would have just been passed on for, we don't even know how long, you mm-hmm. know, it's crazy. So yeah, so when I started looking at this, I said, okay, well, we have frequencies and we have 528 hertz and we have the self Geo suite, but it didn't feel like that was where I wanted to go with this technology. I wanted to go with it on the waveforms of instruments. So what does the drumming waveform do? What does the flute waveform do? What does the piano waveform do for the body? How does it work with the organs? to create the body to be an orchestra that's just beautifully tuned. So then I started looking at the tones, the tones of the body. And I met Ani Williams. And Ani Williams will listen to your voice, tell you what tones are missing from your voice. And amazingly, if you're missing a tone, it relates to a physical or emotional illness. I did this test the other day at the Ophelia Center. And I was very low in the tone, tone of D. Yeah, which is interesting. And then my highest was G. And I thought, oh, man, that's cool. I'm going to try to sing in G because I'm trying to learn how to sing a little bit. Okay. So I, I go, okay, G is the natural, but I got to push it and try in D. And it's funny because yesterday I was making up a little song for Allison, which I do often. And unfortunately, I never record them or anything. But um it was in G. And I was like, oh, I can actually sing this pretty good. And I didn't make the connection. And then in the progression of chords, I needed to put a D and it was really hard for me to hit that note. And I didn't actually realize it until right now. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. I mean, taking that test and just going, huh, and I didn't know anything about it or if there was any validity to it or that it was even connected to you and the egg. I thought that was just her thing she was into or something. No, I trained the centers um, and the center owners because I feel like it is a real thing. Um, if you're missing a tone, you literally can have a physical um, correlate or emotional. And there's mantras that can bring those tones back into balance. There's just toning. And so the pieces of music that I create for the egg, I will say, okay, if I want it to reduce inflammation, I need to create it in this tone with these instruments. And then I consult with musicians and say, this is what I need. I need a flute and bird and water piece of music 
for autism. Because for autism, you don't want a real stimulating. You don't want guitar and drumming and flutes and birds. and It's just too stimulating. And the same for an animal, a dog, you know, has a similar nervous system to us. And then I use the colors that are calming and cooling. So the greens, the purples, and the blues. And so when I ask them to record a piece of music, I say, okay, you need to hold a space for unconditional love every step of why you're recording this. There's no room for ego in it to resonate with the egg. And we want to hold the space of the intention for reducing inflammation or helping somebody's liver or helping with PTSD, which water sounds will help with PTSD. And so we put these pieces of music together and then we have song notes for each of the center owners to use when they hear someone's missing the tone of D. Oh, what music do I have for the egg that's recorded in the tone of D that I can help the um, client replenish? And you sent me... Uh, all the USBs. Yeah, you sent me a USB with all the track. I still have the songs on my desktop too. I gotta I forget if I put them on my phone or not. But I thought it was interesting that they're in a WAV file, not an MP3. Could you explain the difference for people and why you chose that higher density uh, tracks to put in the um, the egg? So I think Apple is guilty for creating. You know, you want to put a thousand songs on an iPod. So you want to cram as much music as you can. And I, I look at music players and there's new technology coming out on music players that I'm looking at. And people, the complaints are they give it a one-star rating because it only fit 15,000 songs on it. So when I use a song, it's 600 to 700 megabytes. Where wow. an MP3 file can be, what, 5 megabytes, 30 megabytes. You know, it's a smaller yeah. file. We're, we're looking at 700 megabytes for one song. So... That one song will fit on a whole CD. That's it. So I feel like what happens is when you compress the music in an MP3 file, you compress the waveforms and you kind of cut them off. And you're losing the integrity and the intention that the musician put into the music. So in some ways, I mean, can I say it's disrespectful to use MP3 files when you know you as a musician put your heart and soul into a piece of music and then someone just compresses it and cuts off the intention and the integrity of the music. And what I found is the nervous system then sees that as like binary code, ones and zeros, zeros, ones, ones and zeros. The, the nervous system is then sitting there going, was that a one? Was that a zero? Is that, is that a one? And so you don't get the whole healing quality of it because the nervous system is thinking and not healing. So I have all these different comparisons for people to realize that 528 hertz on an MP3 file probably isn't 528 hertz. And it also depends on the speakers you're listening, you know, the output. And so I really feel strongly that MP3 files are, are just not good. Well, you see this resurgence in vinyl, which is, which is great. That was one goal when we moved in this house. I mean, it's, it's down the list of, you know, expenditures after got to put tile in, you know what I mean, first. But uh, I really, at some point, would like to get a tube amp, a really nice turntable. And I could probably live the rest of my life with the same 100 records, you know what I mean? Like, I could pretty much write them down right now, meaning records that I think I would listen to for the rest of my life because I've listened to them thus far. Um, so there's definitely something to that. And as you speak about the um, the compression of the MP3s, 
it reminds me uh, of Neil Young some years ago was putting out some kind of new alternative to an, an iPod, essentially. I mean, this is going back probably 15 years. And so he was doing all these interviews describing what you're describing, how we're getting this facsimile of music. And so his intent was to put the density of you know a two-inch analog tape, which is how they used to record um, music back in the day. Most of the records that... Most of us love were recorded that way and then digitized and then shrunk down. But he wanted to um, have a certain catalog of music available in its in its fullness, right? And I was like, oh, that was so interesting. But he was just fully anti-MP3, you know? Yeah, just like the, two years ago, he put out something about oh, he it did? too. Yeah. Okay. So he's he's been, still on the rampage. He is, yeah. No more MP3 files. Well, they're, they're terrible. I'll have to look it up and see if that player ever came out because it sounded really interesting because it was portable. Yep. I mean, you can do that at home with the tube amplifier and the vinyl and the whole thing. But if you want to be somewhere else, you'd need really good headphones. You need a player that's compatible with that, that density of file. Um, what were the first... Did you have a first iteration of the egg that was more crude or didn't include some of the, you know, the harmonics? And I know we're going to talk about the light and the actual comfort of the zero gravity chair and, and all this stuff. I mean, did you have like a... One made out of plywood and two by fours in the garage along the way. Like, what were the uh, what were the stumbling blocks that you ran into before you created this beautiful kind of work of art that you have now? So, um, I wrote about it in a little bit in the book because it's funny. Um, the gentleman's name was Wayman. He is, I think, the consciousness of Tesla. He's um, built devices that you can have free electricity, and he just does it. And he said, you just do this and this and you wind 117 armatures and you just, you know, put the copper and it works like magic. Um, So he's got something going on that, you know, is a a gift. So he walks into my office one day and I said, you know, I have this idea for this large wooden egg. He said, can you draw it? Oh, yeah. I, I, I took classes in drafting and I took classes in AutoCAD and Unigraphics and Calma and I used to do this for automotive. So the next 15 minutes later, he's got a front view, a side view, a cross view, you know, a top view. And he's like, okay, I guess you've figured this out. And I said, it needs to be this big. And it really needs to have sacred geometry, the, the golden ratio and different sacred geometric forms. And he said, well, I can build this for you. I don't have any tools. So I said, well, if I buy you the tools, would that be, you know, payment enough for you building this egg? And he said, yeah, buy the materials, buy the tools and I'll build it for you. Okay, sounds easy enough, right? So probably three tries later, he said, I can't do it. And we tried, I bought him um, like a little steam thing to try to bend wood and we couldn't figure it out. And months had gone by. We threw away so many materials and we were building it out of the MDF wood, which is a pressed you know, wood and just because it's cheaper and I didn't know if it was going to work. And so finally, he's like, well, how about we just build this dome? I said, no, it's not right. So you know how there's synchronicities and weird things that come along? We just couldn't figure out how to build it. So there was one trick that I learned by just a random website came up from a mall in England. And it popped into my head, this is how we're going to do it. So I called him back. He quit. I fired him twice. He quit twice. You know, we had these knockdown drag out fights, right? He's like, I can't do it. I'm like, just, just get out of here then, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so it was just so funny. So he says, okay, we're going to do it. So we end up building it and it looked horrible. I mean, the, the light string was just hanging from the top. 
we had uh, the horse, you know, the like the is it called a seahorse or a saw sawhorse? Saw you, yeah, you. So the door was propped up with that. It looked like it was going to fall down on you inside there, and people were getting like, "Are you sure I can try this out?" Yeah, yeah, it's it's safe. Yeah, sure, okay, <laughs> get in there. Um, but we had the greatest speakers. We had a great sub. I had a sound engineer. I had a light engineer working with me. So we could put together the components that would work in that cubic airspace. It was small. And we had DOs test it and healers test it and all kinds of acupuncturists, Chinese medicine people. And they're like, this thing works. I'm like, but it's ugly. So I called another company and I said, you know, can you make this? I said, no, you, you can't make a large wooden egg. It's wood. And it's just going to be too hard to do. Well, I said, well, Walt Disney said, if you can dream it, you can do it. And he said to me, you're not Walt Disney. <laughs> oh, man. But he's the one that builds them, that builds them for me now. Really? Because yeah. oh, I wow. said, I have one here. And he's in Kansas. And he said, no. I took a picture of it. He said, I'm coming down. So he drove seven hours. And he did... a like a FaceTime video with his son. And he's like, this is where we're going to have problems. And he was kind of putting, you know, showing the pictures and it's now a reality. Did you ever think about using molded plastic or 3D printed materials or something? Why didn't you just make it easy on yourself and do that? So wood doesn't hold information or energy. Wood is a living material and the egg has become a living consciousness, a living technology. And I think it had to be wood for the acoustics. It couldn't be bouncing. The music bouncing off plastic or metal just sounds to me. And the download that I had was definitely wood. And the MDF wood, because they pressed together a bunch of different types of wood, when I got in there, you almost could hear lots of different trees and energies talking. And I thought, no, we, we have to use just one solid piece of wood because of that energy. So. A lot of stuff went through my head about plastic molding and um, stereolithography, 3D printing, things like that. But it couldn't be plastic. It needed to be wood. And when you say you got this download, was this uh, on one particular instance uh, in a meditation or something of that nature where you know the egg appeared to you and you didn't know how to do it, but you, you saw what it looked like or how it could work? Or is it a something that kind of came to you over time? It was over time for sure. But I saw the 360 degrees of healing and I didn't know what that looked like. I thought maybe it was like contact, you know? You know, when you get in the egg, yeah. it's like, okay to go. Okay to go, <laughs> right? That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. The first time I was in there, I was like, okay to go. Okay to go. And so over time, it started to come. I'm like, oh, the egg. And then I would randomly get a video from Victor Schauberger, which I didn't even know who he was. He talks about the cosmic egg and the most powerful shape in the universe is the egg. And so I got most of it. And then there was a time where I got stuck. I just couldn't get the rest of it. And the funniest gift that the universe gave me was a car accident. And I feel like my guys were, you know, oh God, we've got to do this to her. And they're looking down at me and they put me in an intersection. They're like, we're just going to have to slip her into another reality right now and just... I got smacked 60 miles an hour on my driver's side and spun around the intersection. Um, everybody that came to the car, I knew them. I said, the one guy said, oh, so good to see you again. He's like, I don't know you. And I knew everybody at that moment. It was so beautiful. So I told people, I got in this accident. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. But it took me to a different place. And then the rest of the egg came through at that, at that point. 
Oh, interesting. So kind of an NDE experience where somebody leaves their body to some degree and comes back with information. It's interesting, you know, there's another uh, gentleman, this guy, uh, Jerry, that I interviewed who makes something called the Rasha. And he had uh, overdosed on a bunch of drugs and um, left his body. And he reports that he was floating above his body. And while he was there, he downloaded all of these mathematics and all of this you know, data, basically, and came back and sometime later ended up using much of that information to produce his, his technology, which, like yours, is very unique and novel and effective. So I think that's interesting. You know, sometimes life throws us into the quantum without our voluntarily uh, going there, right? You can meditate, you can take psychedelics. There's a lot of ways to get, you know, access to the greater field of information. But it's interesting when it happens to you, right? You're not, you're not sitting down like, okay, I want to access the ethers and all the information in the universe. It's like, boom, here, get hit by a train. There you go. Right. Wow. Did you sustain any um, physical injuries in that, in that experience? So my mentor that built the light box said, if you can hit a trauma within six hours, the cells don't have time to remember it. So I remember thinking that. I remember this happened in the intersection of my center. So I could see the clients that were waiting to have their sessions while I'm waiting for the cops to do their little traffic investigation. And I'm like, I got to go. I got to go. They're like, are you okay? I said, no, I'm not okay. Don't write down I'm okay. Yeah. But I got to get to work. And the cop's looking at me like I'm a crazy person. He's like, let me walk you across the street. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I mean, I clearly wasn't fine. I couldn't move my neck. And so it's just kind of, you know, one of those kind of things. I'm like, I got to get to my clients. This is what I do. I serve these clients. I had a full day. And just coincidentally, right, my two o'clock canceled. And so this was about 10.30 in the morning, 10, 10.30. And so I was able to get into the light box. And the only thing that I really still have is I think there's some scar tissue that happened because I was hit so hard and the airbag went off here. I still have like a line that I can see in my vision. I think that's just scar tissue from the accident. But other than that, this would have been an injury that would have caused a TBI or a traumatic brain injury. I mean, I've seen clients that had a similar accident. So I feel so lucky. I feel like so blessed. I feel like my guides were really there supporting me. And and then the other funny thing about it was that I didn't have any money, really. I was how am I going to fund this whole, you know, building an egg? State Farm called me up. They said our our client ran through the red light and hit you. Um wasn't my fault. So we have to do a settlement. I'm like, oh. I said, no, I'm I'm not suing anybody. No, 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 we have to do a settlement. The check I got was exactly what I spent on building the research and development of the egg. Really? <laughs> it's like the exact amount. That's quite How a leap. That? That's quite a leap of faith. You know, some people would be like, I'm buying a Porsche. <laughs> you know, whatever. Wasn't that much. <laughs> <laughs> some big screen TVs or something, you know. Take a trip to the Bahamas. Oh, that's so interesting. Well, that speaks to your commitment to the download, right? I mean, you could, you know, you could have I don't know how much money it was. You could have done anything else with it other than investing something that had no I mean, real prospects, right? You don't know if it's going to work, if it's marketable, if people are going to resonate with it, if it's going to have widespread appeal and all of that. So kudos to you for following your intuition. I remember first hearing about the medicinal plant Kratom years ago as a potential social mood lifter and even natural painkiller. For those of you that have never heard of it, kratom is an all-natural herb related to the coffee plant that's been used in Thailand for centuries. 
But even though Kratom piqued my interest, I gotta be honest, I was nervous to try it due to it being sold exclusively in sketchy smoke shops and dark web internet sites when I first discovered it. And as a recovering opiate addict, I also had some fears around its reputation as a natural opiate, and I feared I might get addicted, and I definitely wanted to avoid that. Fast forward to now some seven years later, and I find myself using Kratom both safely and somewhat regularly. The key for me was in finding a brand I could trust, and one that only uses pure leaf and not dangerous extract. And the brand that I found and use today is called Super Speciosa. These guys use only the top 1% of Kratom produced in the world and boast some of the highest alkaloid levels in the industry, which means it's more powerful and works. Plus, they only use one ingredient, pure Kratom leaf, and are rigorously tested for purity and safety. Now, personally, I use Super Speciosa for so many applications, such as relaxation and social settings, but also as a pre-workout and even as a nootropic for work, focus, and creativity. Kratom is strange and unique as it helps energize your mind and relax your body at the same time. It's pretty incredible. So if you're going to check it out for beginners, I recommend their signature Super Speciosa strain. To try Kratom and get 20% off your entire order, here's what you do. Go to getsuperleaf.com Luke. And if you use the promo code Luke, you'll save 20% off your entire order. Again, that's getsuperleaf.com Luke. And the 20% off code is also Luke. Uh, what's up with the three six nine code of uh, is that part of the geometry of the egg? Explain that if you would. So I've read a lot, you know, and of course what we read and what we what is true we don't know. But I've read a lot about Tesla's mathematics and that you know the sweet spot is the number six. I've always resonated with three, and then some people say his favorite number was nine. So things that I've read is if you can unlock the secrets to three six and nine you'll know all the mysteries of the universe. So I thought somehow this needs to be in there because it'd just be fun, right? So when you look at um, the outside of the egg, it's paneled with 12 sides. It was kind of a dodecagon, a two-dimensional dodecagon. And so two plus one is three. And then we created a hexagon platform for the chair to sit on. And the guys, when they first built it, they just made a circle. And I said, that's not right. And they said, well, why isn't it right? I said, I don't know. It, I just had the feeling, that clear sentience, I think. You just know that you know. I said, it has to be the hexagon. And they said, why? I don't know. Just do it that way. You know, I'm just asking you to do it that way. Well, that's six-sided. So there's the six. And then later on, I learned that the center of a hexagon is a portal. So where does the chair sit? Right in the center of a portal. Brilliant, wow. right? Brilliant. Wow. Like from them, brilliant, not me. And then 360 degrees, six and three is a nine. So there's the circle that you look at when you lean back in the zero gravity chair that almost looks like an eclipse, right? Yeah, yeah. The circle with the, with the um, recessed lighting. The illuminated it. light, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. right? So there's 360 there and then the 360 inside the, the shape of the egg is the, the nine. And then I felt like so much work of Edgar Casey had to come through um, in the consciousness and then Royal Rife and Wilhelm Reich with the Oregon box. And if you look at the claims that Wilhelm Reich makes with the Oregon box, it's really similar to what we see happening with the success of the people that come out of the egg. And we had one gentleman um, who owns a center in Santa Clarita. 
said that his client came out and was telling him that there was an old man that was smoking energetically. She saw him inside the egg and immediately knew it was Royal Rife. And she said he was like a Justin Dials in there trying to figure things out. So I ended up, my friend Stephen Ross, who owns the World Research Foundation in Sedona, that library that's just huge. Um, he's got some of Tess, um, Royal Rife's lab books in his own handwriting and oh, some wow. of Tesla's books. And so I had to go and sit in the library just with that energy and just kind of absorb that energy for the consciousness of that. Just beautiful soul. Um, he and his wife, um, Deborah, beautiful souls. I love them. And they just gifted me with being able to just sit with all that energy and all those books. Wow. It was, it was amazing. Wow. And there's an egg in Sedona, right? I mean, um, no. There's not? Oh, that's funny. I was like, there's got to be one there. We got an inquiry today, which <laughs> is did? hilarious. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. When we were, yeah, I guess I didn't find one when we were there. And I feel like I looked for everything interesting along those lines. Um, okay. So thank you for decoding the 369 thing. And then what about um, you looking into the history of heliotherapy and, and how you knew that you had to bring light into this equation? Well, was, that was interesting because I didn't really realize, um, you know, how the sun could heal and how um, we, we get all these different light colors from the sun, the full spectrum of light colors. And when I was on Gaia TV with Regina Meredith, all of a sudden I just went into the space and I remembered um, in Egypt 3,000 years ago when I lived there that the sun was used at different times of the day for healing. And it felt like it was like the noon time when it was the most powerful for healing. So I started looking at, you know, heliotherapy and different therapies that there's so many beautiful therapies out there now. And I love that we're seeing more non-invasive modalities and people are walking away and stepping away from the medications that just cause side effects and we don't really get to the root cause. So, you know, the sun and nature, so natural. Why not use what we have already been given to us from Mother Mother Gaia? It's interesting. Um, early, early on in the podcast, I interviewed a woman named uh, Nadine Artemis, who has a company called Living Libations, make great body care stuff. And she's a big sun worshiper and sun advocate. And she was telling me about heliotherapy hospitals that used to exist back in the day. And they were treating kids with polio and all kinds of stuff. And essentially, they would just wheel their beds out into the sun all day. Like that was the hospital. It's a sun hospital, you know? And I guess it was actually somewhat common. And it's interesting when you think about now how far we've strayed from using these energies that nature provides. If you walk in a hospital, I mean, yeah, you're getting a lot of light, but it's like the most toxic, you know, flickering, narrow spectrum, blue light and all the EMFs. And God bless hospitals. If I ever need to go to one, I'm glad that they're there. But um, in terms of you know chronic conditions, obviously they're not not doing a great job by and large. But uh, yeah, it's like how did how did we lose that? If this was something that was effective, sure. Then we have chemo and whatever else has been invented. Why don't you use all of it? You know, instead of sequestering people into these boxes, these cubes, you know, that litter our cities. It's just crazy. Um, so how did you integrate? Um, chromotherapy, heliotherapy. I guess heliotherapy is technically the sun. So using different colors of light, how did you determine which colors you wanted to use and when and how do they illuminate the egg for those listening that haven't yet tried it? I know from being in there, um, when I went to the Ophelia Center, she was like, oh, I'm going to use yellow or whatever it was. And you know, there it was, but I didn't really dig much deeper into it. 
So when I was putting together the training manual and all the different types of music, I was looking at the waveforms of the instruments as I, we were talking about, but then the colors of the chakras. So we know that if there's an imbalance in the root chakra, it could manifest into knee issues, um, eyesight issues, hearing issues, um, teeth issues, because that's our survival chakra. So when you're looking at that, you're saying, okay, we need to chew and use our teeth for survival. All of our senses are for survival, are walking and moving forward, knees, survival. So I was looking at what are the imbalances that are caused when, um, or the, the, the physical ailments that are caused when there's an imbalance in the chakra. And so I looked at each of the different chakras and there's tons of different ideas. So some people say, you know, green is for the liver and some people say orange, some people say yellow. But I also had to see what worked with the cubic airspace of the egg and the sacred geometry of the egg. So what I've found out is orange is going to work with the liver and flute music. So, you know, I would tell some, you know, somebody comes out and they're like, I could feel that in my liver. I could really feel what was happening. And so it took everything I could find about the chakras and the tones of the chakras and the astrology of somebody born at a certain time and what tone could they be missing. If they're a Leo, they could be missing the E-tone and the color of yellow because on the planet at that moment in time, we could have been depleted of the E-tone and yellow. So I mean, just really digging deep with Ani Williams and Kay Gardner, so many different beautiful souls that have put this great information forward And then I feel like I'm the private investigator pulling all these pieces of the puzzle and figuring out, okay, how do I bring all this beautiful work together and incorporate it into the egg? That's cool. I relate to that. I feel like I'm a a private investigator slash researcher, but I just find people like you. you And then you get to learn all the stuff and I just go, hey, look look at her guys, you know, listen to her because you figured it out. Um, yeah, it's interesting because in the uh, in the light element, the color element in the egg, I'm assuming most people like me lay there with their eyes closed. And I remember in this last session, I thought, wow, the colors are in here. Maybe I need to have my eyes open so I can actually get that benefit. Do you think that your body and just, you know, kind of your your auric field in there being exposed to the color does the trick without actually having to see it optically? So if you look at some of the... Um Dr. Lieberman and some eye doctors in his book, he talks about you have to absorb the colors through your eyes. But I didn't resonate with that. And so I found that the way I rationalized it and the analogy is when you're laying in the sun, you don't have to have your eyes open. You don't have to be looking at the sun. You can absorb all that beautiful energy through your energy field. And so we don't, you do not have to have your eyes open in the egg to get the benefit of the lights. Okay, cool. Um... I'm going to try to relay my experience of the egg and then I want to find out what some of you have some testimonials in your book, but your book's, you know, been around for a while now, but I'm curious to hear about other people's experience. My experience of the egg the first couple times was, it was a little bit like a, a cross between a really deep meditation and a very light psychedelic experience and psychedelic not in that I was seeing visuals or anything like that but that I was still in a deeper state than I would be on my best day of meditation after meditating for a long time so I imagined what was going on was that I you know walk in and beta brain waves are going I'm alert I'm checking in I'm talking to people I get in there and breathe a little bit the music starts to come on the light is there 
And then I kind of feel myself pass through alpha. It's a little creative feeling, but I'm still alert. And then I go into my favorite brainwave state, theta, where I think of theta as like your body's asleep, but your mind's awake, right? So you kind of, you have that disassociative, really relaxed feeling where you're kind of forgetting about your body, but your consciousness starts to explore and expand and you get ideas and visions and obscure memories that come out of nowhere. And you're like, how did I remember that? You know? Um, so it, each experience I've had has been a little bit different, but I would say that's the predominant experience overall is just like super, super relaxing. And then the mind wanders as if, um, you're in a daydream, kind of like that half asleep, half awake effect. So, um, I guess my question to that, uh, would be, Hey, have you done any brainwave studies or studying any other physical biometrics? Uh, and then maybe you could just share some of, you know, the experiences that, that you've had yourself anecdotally or that you've um, received in feedback from, you know, the many, I'm sure, hundreds of people that are using this thing around the world. Yeah, like thousands now. It's crazy. So crazy. Good. Um, so it's like going to the level below the level of consciousness at an awakened state. And I believe that's where the nervous system can heal. The autonomic nervous system can heal when it's in balance and when you're relaxed. And so I've had similar experiences and I just, I love my egg sessions because you really are in a daydream, but you're awake, but you're in that hypnagogic state where some people tell me, oh, it felt like 15 minutes, but yet it's 50 total and time doesn't really exist in there. So the last session that I was doing, I just did one before I, I came here to Texas and it was just so lovely. Like I was just floaty and, you know, time was just going by, but I didn't really connect with time. And I call it the Shavasana on steroids. Yeah, that's it's good. It's kind of like that. Totally, totally. And one time I was in there and I saw this little ball with like a face, like almost like an animated smiley face, just bouncing all around inside the egg. And I thought, what is that? But as soon as I identified with it, I realized it was my little atoms, you know, just molecules, oh, wow. you know, atoms flying around. But sometimes as soon as you identify with it, it goes away. So, you know, oh, that's that's a waterfall. And even if it wasn't, all of a sudden it's gone because you've identified with it and then it's gone. And that, that's a hard part for me. I want to guess what that is and figure it out. As far as testing goes, we haven't really done a lot of brainwave testing. We've done heart rate variability testing. We've done pre and post um, GDV camera, the, like the gas discharge oh, cool. visualization camera. Uh, we've worked with David Hawkins scale, which oh, nice. power versus force. We yeah, have, um, I'm a huge Hawkins fan. Yeah, Dr. Steve, um, he uses his um, science, you know, with the frequencies uh, to pre and post test people. So we would send people to him and he was, you know, pre and post testing people and seeing that they go from, you know, some people would, you know, live in the space of love, but if they weren't, they'd go to the space of love and joy and happiness. And I really believe that disease doesn't live there. D disease doesn't live in love. It, it lives in hate and anger and, and discontent and all these other places, but it doesn't live in love. Yeah, and especially so, in, in the self-love, you know, when you think about the shame that's associated with trauma, I mean, macro and micro traumas, right? Like the things you shared that you went through, even if you've intellectually let go of your resentment, 
um, toward your transgressors and you've forgiven them, as you said, that trauma can still live in the cells of your body, right? So you might think, oh, it was in the past. I've, you know, I got the lessons from it, but your body doesn't yet know that, right? And if, if you haven't even gotten to that place, you could still have an underlying sense of shame, which is depleting your, your self-love and your mm-hmm. ability to, to heal thyself, right? And kind of creating a, you know, the perfect storm in some cases for people to get these, you know, mystery chronic conditions and things like that. I mean, to me, it's, and this isn't to like victim shame people who are, you know, chronically ill, but I've observed in my own life and in the lives of uh, people that I know that oftentimes the unhealed trauma does in fact manifest as something that, you know, is perplexing the medical field, right? You know, Mm -hmm. autoimmune stuff, even Lyme things and all kinds of stuff that's kind of you know, hard to heal because it's hard to identify. And the origins of that, I think, have a lot to do with just the trapped memories in your cells, you know? Well, and definitely don't want to discount anybody's chronic illness either, but I was listening to the podcast with Zach um, Bush that you did. And he said, you know, the epidemic of autoimmune, and then he related it to self-sabotage, which I never really related before. I thought the body, you know, God gives us a perfect body and it would never attack itself. But somehow this autoimmune, it's the body attacking itself. And it's a real thing. So is Lyme disease and everything else. But it was just interesting because I thought it's probably an underlying viral load that the medical field hasn't picked up yet. And they just named it autoimmune and said, oh, sorry, your body's attacking itself. Nothing we can do to help you. But when he said, you know, maybe self-sabotage, it just brought up that, you know, from trauma. And then you just mentioned shame. I was telling... um, your staff here before the podcast that there was a gentleman who was our waiter last night at the restaurant and he was said he was just carrying around so much shame. Like people sometimes, probably with you too, they just want to tell you their story, right? Yeah. Just random people walk up to you and tell you their story. Yeah. So he says, I'm just carrying around so much shame um, because my mom is a PhD and I went to school and got kicked out. I just, just don't have the smarts that she has. But you could tell he was a super go-getter. And I said, stop carrying the shame around. Just stop. There's just not enough people who would support with love a stranger in the world today. It seems like it's like all for one and one for all, you know, every man for themselves. And we just don't have enough love to, you know, that we're really supporting each other. We are all connected. We are all one. And I'm sharing, you know, cells and energy with you right now. And so I said, stop carrying around the shame and explain to him a couple of stories that were really inspiring to him. I said, I'm just this little Detroit girl and, you know, I've created this thing and, you know, it just they're all over the world now. And he's like, what? And I said, you know, you have a dream, you have a passion, you can do it. And it was just cute because I told my boyfriend, I was like, just give him a $100 tip, right? And he's <laughs> yeah, like, no. His first thing is no. And I, and, he, and I said, no, just do it. He said, your bookkeeper's not going to like this. Your CPA is not going to like this. I, you know, But I wanted to listen. I listened to your podcast with Danielle about you know bragging about something or inspiring somebody to do this. And I didn't want any credit for it. So I'm like, let's sign the bill and run out the door because I don't want him coming back and saying, thank you, thank you. No big deal, right? I gave it to him to not get anything in return. But this guy just was so hurt, you know, at a soul level from the shame of his mom. And he was carrying that around and he doesn't need to. He's brilliant and lovely. And so I just thought, oh my gosh. And he he even said when he gave us the bill, he said, 
your words meant more than any money that I could have ever gotten today. That's a pretty deep conversation to have with the server. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yeah. right? It seems like everywhere I go, I have these yeah. crazy, you know, conversations with people. I, I do too. I do it's it fun. for I do it for a living. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes out in the world too. Yeah. You know, but it's like what else is there to talk about? Small talk is excruciating. Oh God, yeah. It's it's difficult. That's why these podcasts are rarely, you know, the standard sixty minutes because there's not really small talk, but I do like to get to know someone as I got to know you and your backstory today. And then we get into the real meat of the topic, you know? Uh, so what are some of the, uh, and I know obviously this is not a medical device. We can't make medical claims of it curing people of this or that, but I know just anecdotally myself, my experience, although I haven't had any chronic illness or anything serious going in there, but I talk to people who have done it. Oh, this person had this, this person had that. And now, you know, they've healed themselves with the assistance of that energy field. So to whatever degree you feel comfortable, maybe you could share some of the, you know, miracles or close to miracles that you've seen along your journey here with the egg. Oh, there's been so many. I mean, that I can't even believe myself. I, you know, look at it and I say, that happened in there? I look at the egg and I look at the person and I just, I can't believe it. Um, we recently have a center owner in Maryland and his wife is a medical doctor. And she had a stroke. And he didn't think that she was going to recover. I mean, she's older. So he didn't think she was going to recover as quickly as she did. And I'm not even sure she believed in the egg because of her training and everything. You get that, you know, those that mentality of, okay, this is how things are supposed to work and they don't work this way. Um, but he said after a couple of sessions, remote sessions even, which is crazy in my engineering head, um, he said she was driving herself to her doctor's appointments again. I know our body's beautiful. I know God gave us perfect bodies. I know our bodies can heal themselves. I know that. I know if I break a bone, it's going to heal. I know if I cut myself, it's going to scab over and heal. Why have we been so duped into believing that there's other illnesses we can't heal from? You know, that's, that's my question for people. And I think they start thinking about how hoodwinked we've gotten and that's a good word. Right. Learn that from my Australian <laughs> friend. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And so we see people come in with um, say maybe they have the big C, which I hate to use because it's such a moneymaker. So I don't really we don't make any claims or guarantees. It's a relaxation device. Wink wink. Um, you know, just put take the body out of stress, which is the number one killer anyway. But they'll they're coming back with reports that the tumors are shrinking and or they're gone or they're encapsulating. So there's different ways that the body will deal with these things um, based on your the rules of your body. Because there is no one size fits all. Everybody has a different rule. I can eat things you can't or vice versa. Um, I can do things that you can't and vice versa. And so we all have a different rule for our body and there is no one size fits all. What the egg can do is it can pick up where the body is damaged energetically. So there's an egg field and there's a human field. And they interact together in that cubic airspace with the scalar waves in the resonant chamber. And there's this magic that happens because there's really not a test that you can test subtle energies at this point. I don't know of any you know, machine you can set up and test the subtle energies of things. Um, we've had pendulum people and dowsing people kind of test for us. Um, the one gentleman that I start the book out with, his name is TQ, become like my brother. and he basically came in just destitute. 
Uh, he came in in a wheelchair. Wayman, the one that built the prototype egg, brought him in. And TQ said, you know, I want to get better. I have one dead kidney, one that's functioning at 20%. I can't walk. And um, they want to put me on dialysis for the rest of my life. And I said, well, you know, how bad do you want it? Because I can't want the healing more than you want it for yourself. So he kind of thought, well, who's this little girl, Gail, telling me what to do? And and it was almost like a reverse child psychology thing. Because when he came out, I said, you really, for any kind of kidney problems, you want to stop the animal protein to help the kidneys to heal. So you have to do a little bit of stuff for yourself as well. You know, drink a lot of water, stay hydrated, stay away from the Oreo cookies and the ice cream. And, um, you know, get a little bit of exercise. And he's like, well, you're not going to tell me what to do. I said, well, then just stop wasting my time and your money. Don't come back. And he was <laughs> like, excuse me? <laughs> he said, I'm coming back. I said, well, <laughs> and I didn't see, I really wasn't trying the psychology to that. You know, it just happened that way. And um, so he kept coming back. His one kidney was no longer dead. The other kidney was at 60%. The veterans hospital, he's a Marine, was for whatever reason measuring his heart. And they told him his heart grew by a centimeter, which I don't know what that means. Um, They couldn't understand why he was still alive. Um, He had lost about 160 pounds. And this was all over maybe six months. And he was walking, driving again. Like, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I can understand it but I can't. I know our bodies are amazing. I know they can heal themselves. But what really happened in there? And he says, you saved my life. I said, no, I didn't. You saved your own life by just listening to what I was you know, asking you to do to save your own life. Well, that's a really interesting perspective, you know, that you have that, you know, it's not, it's not your technology that's doing the healing. It's, and I'm going to kind of frame what I think your experience of it is, is more like, you're creating a field that allows the body to go into a deep enough state of relaxation that it can heal itself because it has the blueprint for a perfect kidney. It's there and it's encoded in your DNA. And I like to use the example of breaking a bone. When we say break our femur, uh, we have to create the conditions uh, for which that uh, bone can heal, right? So we, we put a cast on it, we get crutches, we don't walk on it, we're in a wheelchair, whatever the case may be, right? We just stop applying pressure to that bone and allow it to fuse back. And magically you have bone where there was no bone, you know? Right. And it's something that's really important, I think, for us to illuminate because people often don't think of their internal organs in the same way. I mean, I didn't really until you framed it that way. And I thought, oh, so if I'm having kidney, heart, gallbladder, liver, prostate, whatever then there is some state that I can hopefully find to allow my body, just like I would a broken leg, to heal. And if you're in an energy field with all of these potent you know, music tones and you have the sound element, you have the light element, and you have the geometry that's kind of facilitating these scalar waves, seems like a pretty good environment to allow your body to do what it wants to do anyway, which is get back to homeostasis and wholeness. Yep, absolutely. And that's what I try to teach the center owners in my training for them. Just because we name things, we have, you know, diseases like ichthyosis. I mean, we just name these things. I don't know where these names come from, but we name everything and the body doesn't know disease by name. But if you look at what organ it's affecting, you can 
you know, dive down into the root cause. So lungs, grief, liver, anger, pancreas, worry. You know, you start looking at what organ is being affected and what emotions could be coming up that we need to now use the tone of D because that's where the physical correlate comes in. You're missing the tone of D and then all of a sudden you have this issue. So I try to teach them to really dive deep into the root cause of what's going on to use the proper colors and music selections that have been designed for the egg to work to help the body to innately innately heal itself, which we know it can do. Over the years, I've learned the hard way how important biomarker testing is, especially if you spend a lot of money on supplements that you don't need, or even worse yet, ones that aren't right for your personal biology. This is why you'll often hear proponents of testing like myself say, test, don't guess. Well, there's a super rad company I use called Viome. You might recall their CEO, Naveen Jain, on the show back on episode 213. He's an incredibly brilliant scientist and problem solver. What Viome does is provide personalized and precise recommendations on how to optimize your health. Their test reveals what foods you should eat and why, plus what foods you should avoid based on the results from your blood, stool, and now even saliva testing. And they even take it a step further and offer custom pre- and probiotics and precision supplements, which are made to order and only include the ingredients in the precise dosages that your body needs and nothing that it doesn't need based on your results. This is truly an awesome innovation. Now, they have four tests at this point, with the newest and most comprehensive, and also my favorite, being the Viome Full Body Intelligence Test. This is the most advanced at-home test currently available to consumers, and for my money, this is the single most valuable and affordable test you can take. So jump on over to Viome.com and use the code STORY for 30 bucks off your Viome order, or for the Full Body Intelligence Test, you can use the code STORY50 to get $50 off their most comprehensive test. That's V-I-O-M-E dot com. And the codes are STORY or STORY50, depending on the test you choose. Those links and codes are also in the show notes. What else does your training entail? You know, because in my recent trip to the Ophelia Center here, uh, I, you know, I showed up, I think, two or three minutes late. I'm like running in there. And um, I expected her to just go, okay, here's the egg, go, you know, and I, we sat down and she did the, the toning test and asked me a bunch of questions. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty comfortable talking about my, my internal experience and what I'm working on. And I think my, my intention was overall to just increase my capacity for creativity and also uh, specifically the creativity of a baby. It's a pretty big intention to set, but that's, I think that's what's on the menu for me right now is just allowing access to just create more and more, which is, you know, what I like to do for fun and it happens to be what I do for a living. Um, but there was quite a, it was probably a 30 minute intake, you know, and she went through all this protocol and I didn't know at the time how much of that was just hers and how much of it was, was your training. So if somebody uh, right now is listening and think, oh my God, I'm going to buy one of these and open a center, which now there's people all over doing that. What does the what does the training entail and how long does that take you to get someone set up where they can become a provider? Mm-hmm. So not every center will do the voice analysis. So I want to say that to your listeners because they might go into a center. Well, I heard that everybody, not every center does the voice analysis before and after. Every center does an intake. And they try to drill down, what is your intention for today? Is it to you know, heal from a chronic illness 
Or is it to find a new job or a new partner or, you know, some different level of happiness? So they're actually trained to help the client to set an intention for themselves so that when two or more are gathered together, so we're holding the space for you and you're holding the space for yourself for that intention. And I will tell them, I'm like, just feel what it would feel like in all the cells of your being to be so excited to get up and go to your job or do what you do for a career. And it's, it's almost like a manifestation egg. And intention is so important. Jonathan Goldman talks about intention. And so we incorporate the intention of the egg into the whole session so that we can hold that space for you and you can hold the space for yourself. Uh, We've had children, autistic children, um, where they're talking after a session and they they couldn't talk before. Wow. But the parent says, you know, I'd really like to see my child have some language, you know, be able to contribute to society and be able to understand, you know, people can understand him or her. And so we'll say, let's hold that intention. What would it feel like to, in all, all the cells of your being if your child could talk again? And we help hold that intention. It's been Susie Miller's work, you know, the book Awesomeism with, for Autism. Um, she's been really influential in teaching me things. Um, it's just been a wonderful journey. And this intake is very important to help a client to set that intention for what it is they want and the, the different quality of life. Cool. So, wow. But not, 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 not everyone does the same testing being before sure. and after. Some people sure. use the bio well, some people. So if you want to purchase an egg, you basically, you know, make an inquiry. And it's not really an interview, but it is. I mean, I don't want just any old person to be an egg owner. This device is built like the Taj Mahal with intention and love. And people feel that love. And all the egg owners just, they love their egg. They name their egg. Um, they have plants in the room. They, they nurture their egg with water fountains in the room. Some of them, it's so beautiful. And when you surround something with love, and love heals all, I feel like it's, it's been a bit of an egg network or an egg grid where all the eggs are now connected. It'd be, cool to see, it'd be cool to see an overlay map of, of the earth and see where they all ended up, right? Draw lines. Like well, you a, know the map of Enoch, right? Uh-uh, there's a map uh-uh. of Enoch and there's the wings of the dove. And when we first started, I was mapping out where all the locations were going into. And I thought, well, Alpharetta, Georgia is an, a location. I'm like, it, it can't be Alpharetta, Georgia. I mean, it, they were all going into the wings of the dove on the oh, map really? of Enoch. And I was like, what? Well, oh. there's so many now, I haven't really mapped yeah. it out. But those beginning ones, they were, they were going on fault lines um, uh. in California. The one lady, she said it needs to help heal the land here in Castro Valley. Wow. It's like, what? What is happening here? Wow. Um, for those listening too, uh, you can find more information at lukestory.com slash harmonic egg. Uh, lukestory.com slash harmonic egg for people that are interested in uh, finding one to buy themselves if they're well healed enough to do so or if they want to find a center and all that. So that's where we'll put the information for this. Uh, How many uh, private owners would you say are out there versus people that have actually created a business around this practitioner-wise? I think there's about four in people's homes. 
Um, so that's why I created the new lift technology because it's it's a sound and light capsule that will fit in the home. I've, as you said earlier, the harmonic egg is 11 foot by 11 foot by 7 foot. It's, it's big. Uh, it's huge. It needs it's about big. a 14 by 14 room. It's bigger than a float tank. Yeah. Like I want to get a float tank here and I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to put it. It might yeah. fit in the garage barely, but the egg would be a stretch. Yeah. So there's people who have said, you know, can you do something for the home so we can have it in the home? And I thought, well, I don't, really no I, I thought I would never invent something else right so and so all of a sudden this download came through that it's going to help this home device is going to help generations of people when you're angry with your spouse or your partner or you know your child I called it the let it flow therapy the lift so you can just go get a lift and I feel like what it's going to do is help generations of people maybe shift the, the way that they would speak to each other. Um, maybe not say things that you're going to regret for your life. Maybe just go get a lift. Maybe help with domestic violence, suicide rates, and help these children um, from being emotionally abused or physically abused by their parents, which will help them not follow that same pattern and abuse their children. So I feel like there's generations of, of families that's going that will be helped from just having it in the home. I'm glad you mentioned that. I forgot about that because you sent me. I think you texted me a rendering of it, right? And it's it's more like um, rather than a you know what was kind of a elongated egg that you sit back in. It looked to be more of a chamber, almost um, like a sauna, like my sauna back there, kind of like a, a rectangle structure that stands up, right? I always say it looks like the little bank thing that you put in the slot and it scoots up. Right, it's kind right. of a capsule, right? Right, and so you just open the door and go in and. So with the home uh, model that is not an egg but stands upright, uh, I'm assuming there's sacred geometry in that. And does it have the speakers like the egg does? So you're in a sound capsule or is it just the energetics and you do whatever you want to do with the sound? There's a Bluetooth speaker. Um, the egg has two speakers in the parabola of the egg, but this one's just going to have a Bluetooth speaker and then one light system instead of the two. Um, and it's the dimensions are all sacred geometry or divisible by three, six, or nine. So I created it that way. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. So that'll be something that's probably more practical for people to have at home. Yeah, and more affordable too. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, do you know approximately how many centers there are around the world? I want to say there's 110 now around the world. Wow. Mm-hmm. Damn, you're growing fast. It's crazy. I mean, who would have thought people were going to line up to buy a large wooden egg? <laughs> <laughs> well, or that they'd be able to make a business out of it. I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. You know what I mean? Like, if I didn't do what I do, I'd probably have a center with the egg and a bunch of cool stuff like that. I mean, I've thought about that, but uh, you know, I'm on my path and I'm enjoying it. But yeah, that that people would be able to make actually a viable business just around that because both egg centers that I've been to just have that. It's not like they have you know red light therapy and saunas. It's like no, this is you come here and all you're doing here is sitting in the harmonic egg which is pretty wild. I mean, it is crazy. But if you look at where we've come, even in the last 10 years, which is a very short amount of time, people are gravitating to sound and light therapy and the, the red light therapy and Reiki and energy medicine. And they're almost becoming addicted to it. Um, it's been a very interesting journey because you would think that that would take thousands of years, but it really hasn't. But it's a thousands of year old technology. But it just yeah. been suppressed. Yeah, and we need it now. I mean, life is so stressful. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a good life and you're a happy person and you're working on yourself, I mean, I'm always surprised at the shit that, you know, I don't want to say happens to me, but just the things I encounter in life just 
drama that was seemingly uninvited, right? Just business stuff and just dealing with the matrix of the world in the past two and a half years, of course, has been insane for so many of us. Yeah. If you're just like a functional, happy person, life is very stressful. <laughs> you know, so. Well, I told, I told the, the waiter yesterday, I'm like, my whole life's a vacation, but that doesn't mean I don't have stress. You know, a center owner needs something and now I have a hundred people depending on me and I, I've basically been nurturing them all. But I'm telling them now I, I can't be everything to everybody anymore. Um, and I, I, I'm just now starting to ignore emails and it's killing me because I just can't, I can't be everything to anybody and everybody and still have balance in my life and stay healthy. Yeah. Because if I'm not healthy, I'm not good for anybody. I remember when we spoke maybe a year ago or something where we were talking about doing the podcast and trying to time it when we'd both be in the same place. And you said, let's hold off on doing it because we have a massive back order in production right now. So if anyone hears it, they won't be able to get an egg for quite a while. Did you manage to you know, catch up with the scaling of the number of people that want these and have your, what's your production time look like these days? So now it's uh, three to six months, four to six months, probably better. We now have manufacturing in Canada, Europe. Um, we're manufacturing the first one in Thailand now. Um, it's gone crazy. Wow, cool. So you actually just make it in other countries instead of making it here and trying to we ship it We still have over. the manufacturer in the US and okay. in Kansas, but we had to expand because at one point we did have a two-year wait. Wow. Okay, cool. And people would call up and say, well, I don't know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. So yeah. thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's quite a commitment. Yeah. Uh, what am I going to do in two years? Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you... Uh, and I'm I'm sure that you're not condoning this behavior. And I'm I'm being serious because I really don't think you would be as I've gotten to know you a little bit. Uh, have there been any reports of people combining uh, the use of psychedelics or plant medicines with the egg? Have you heard, you know, negative consequences, positive? What, what's your take on that or your knowledge of that in general? So I believe that each modality or drug, if you choose to use it, should be used individually and not together. Because I think you confuse the body when you start putting, you know, like people would come, I'm having a me day and I did Reiki and I did a massage and I did acupuncture and now I'm doing my egg session. And, you know, I think that's just too much on the body. It'd be like eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner all at the same time and not letting it digest. So I tell them, let it integrate. If it's, if you use pod, I say, don't come in high because you get a natural high from the egg. Let it do its thing and then do your thing at another time. I mean, even the infrared sauna, it's energy work. So I tell people, you know, the the egg detoxes you and so does the infrared sauna. So don't use them together. Respect every modality. Ask your practitioner, how many days should I let this integrate just to make sure I get the full benefit from A, what I paid for and the exchange of energy that they gave to you. They gave you their energy to do Reiki on you. And if you go into the egg the next day, you basically canceled out that whole Reiki session. Because you didn't let it integrate properly. Got it. So I tell people, just use things responsibly, be discerning. Um, But I have no judgment for what people want to use. But when people would come into my center and they smelled like, you know, marijuana, I would say, you know, I don't really want to put you in the egg high. (laughs) You're going to get your own natural You're going to get paranoid. (laughs) Right? Let me out of here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was I was curious about that. And I'm I know there's someone out there that's like, yeah, one day I took mushrooms and went and, you know, sat in the egg. Um, I personally am I have a, a I think a very healthy respect for um, you know, plant medicines and psychedelics. So even as kind of reckless as I've been in my life, uh, 
I don't think that I would be inclined to mix energies in that way. I would just want like a very sacred, um, you know, tightly held container in an experience like that. But it does cross my mind, you know what I mean? I'm like, well, if this thing's awesome and this thing's awesome, why not? And I do a lot of things that way, but not so much, um, you know, when you're getting into the energy technologies and psychedelics and things. I think there's definitely like some prudence that would be advised there. I just say, you know, I mean, I love all the modalities coming out. There's everybody's, people ask me every day, have you heard of the XYZ machine and the EEA system or EES system and, and just different things? And I say, you know, I know the egg and I'm really happy that people are coming out with modalities that are going to be non-invasive to help people to heal and I support them all, but I can't claim to know everything about every modality. But I tell them, look at who the inventor is, check the integrity of the company, check the integrity of the inventor, um, check to make sure that it's not something that was like human created, like a software program. There could be some error in there. If you have to be in the energy field of the practitioner during the session, and maybe they picked up parasites. Maybe it was the the practitioner that had the parasites. So don't be, you know, poisoning your body on a parasite cleanse when maybe the parasites that were picked up on that machine were actually the practitioner who was within your six feet of your energy field. So I've, I've seen, I know people do these testing and they have their cell phone right there, their energy field. And I just don't think that that is the right environment to get the most accurate results. So I wanted to create a consistent and repeatable device because you definitely don't want me as a Scorpio putting my, you know, put my energy on you on some days. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not always the most neutral person in the world. Um, and so some of these healers, you know, they're healing people as they're grieving a divorce or they're grieving a miscarriage or they're, you know, angry for their financial, you know, um, situation. And that energy is going right into you. And I just want people to be more discerning. I have one um, client that she's always asked, can you come and check out my device? See if it's good. And she said, sometimes she'll walk into the room and say, turn that thing off. I don't even want to be around it. But yet there's got droves of people going in, exposing themselves to these technologies and these modalities. I just want people to be discerning. I want them to be careful about what they're using and just feel that little still gut feeling. You walk in somewhere and your gut says, oh, I don't think that energy is for me. Like I said, there is no one size fits all. It might be the perfect thing for someone. Like the Beamer mat. You know, the Beamer mat I think is great for healing a lot of injuries, for sports injuries. But I've had two clients with Parkinson's and um, Grove, Grove's disease that both got worse because the, cre- the, infl- uh, the circulation of energy, it exasperated their conditions. Oh, interesting. You've got to be really careful. Nothing is good or bad. It's, you know, it's based on the person, I what like they that. need. Yeah, the intentionality, yeah, and uh, and discernment around anything. Because a, a lot of this stuff too, I mean, PEMF, for example, mm-hmm. like the Beamer, uh, it's powerful stuff. Yeah. I mean, if you put a, if you put a tri-field meter over a PEMF mat, I mean, it's a massive magnetic field, right? A lot of this stuff is invisible or it's in the quantum realm. So I think we don't, because you can't, um, feel it with your ordinary senses. We just think, oh, what's that going to do? But right. I've I've learned that, um, you know, stacking a bunch of things at once sometimes, and it's like kind of has a deleterious effect when each one of those things independently, like PMF, the light machines, this and that, 
And I just kind of test everything out that way because I'm a guinea pig um, and I want to be able to report back like what worked and what didn't. But it's also much harder to get the um, the discernible effect, like to identify the specific effect of something when you're stacking too many things. Like you mentioned, getting a massage, doing Reiki, and then you go on the egg and you're like, ah, I didn't feel anything or I felt too much or whatever it was. And then you pointing fingers trying to identify what it was that cause that reaction, but you don't really know because you're doing too many things. Right. So I think that's really good advice. I had a, um, a com- there was a company in Boulder and the lady said I healed from malaria and it was one of these 21 modalities. And literally she had like circuit energy center. Like, you know, circuit training, you go yeah. from one machine to the next. So she would, you would go in there and she'd put you on the 21 machines in, in a circular pattern. You go here and then you go here and you go here. And I was like, <laughs> no, thank you. Um, but she said, this is how I healed from malaria. She, yeah. Like you said, she doesn't know which one. Maybe right. only one of them did the healing. Right. But because she was doing all 21 of them. Noted. Well, I appreciate that you're a purist. Uh, I appreciate you coming out here to speak with me today. And thank you for bringing something really creative and unique to the world. It's It's very cool. And it's something that's increasingly accessible to people too. I, I always get kind of bummed when I share something that's interesting and useful with people. And they're like, well, I can't afford to go buy one. So I like when people can actually find, you can use your website, you know, the locator. I went on there today to kind of just see what was happening in the world. And I mean, they're all over the place now and it seems like they're continuing to grow. So, you know, I highly encourage anyone listening, take an isolated day where you're not doing anything else energetically and go do a harmonic egg session. It's generally like, what, uh, 90 to $100 or something? It depends on the demographics. Yeah, okay. some of them are a little bit cheaper if you buy a membership. I've seen, oh, okay. I've seen 85 to 200 depending on what the demographic is. And my experience, uh, as I said, is deeply relaxing, probably more so in some cases than I would from a massage that cost $180 with a tip. You know what I mean? So it's like... It's not affordable for everyone, but I think, you know, you eat out once less this month and you try an egg or something like it. You know what I mean? I'm I'm just a huge fan. In fact, um, some listeners will know I recently did. I think I might have sent you a podcast because I did, uh, you know, like how to build a, a wellness center, basically like a two-part podcast. And it was supposed to be one. And there's so many cool things like the harmonic egg and other uh, technologies it ended up being two podcasts. But my point with that was just, hey, there's a great business opportunity I mean, with the egg and some of these other things, like if you can get a little seed cash and get a space, even if it's at your house at first, you know, get waivers and all the things, right? Especially if it's in your house, get some insurance. If somebody falls down the stairs or something, but there's a business opportunity, but there's also an opportunity for all of us to start to experience some of these things that are just out of reach financially for your average person. Um, And I think that as more people become aware of technologies like the harmonic egg, that the demand will increase so much that these, you know, crazy garage inventors of all these different technologies will be able to actually scale and make them ultimately more affordable where you have like, oh, everyone has an egg in their house, right? I mean, that's the world I'm envisioning. So this isn't some kind of elitist, well, it's nice if you can afford health kind Mm -hmm. of thing, you know? Well, and I didn't want to have it just for the masses. I wanted it for the classes because I feel like it was a download from God, from Creator, that it wasn't just for the rich people, right? So I, I encourage the center center owners to keep it affordable, um, you know, support their communities. So I created a business model of um, cooperation and not competition. And I'm trying to be a pioneer in this divine feminine business model. And it's hard. It, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard. But 
I don't want to be the top heavy rich person. I want to spread that abundance out for everybody. So I do these things to make the egg a household name. So all my center owners are abundant. That's awesome. And it's this cooperative business model. And the more that are out there, the better we all do. And just this other, this other mentality that we need to shift. And I hope we shift. I think the business model of the future should be of cooperation where we're all supporting each other to be abundant. Totally. And the, the preventative nature of these technologies too. I mean, sometimes I think about, oh my God, I've spent so much money on all this stuff over the years because it's really the only thing I do with my money. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I bought a house finally at 51, but I mean, probably would have bought a house earlier if I wasn't buying $5,000 light panels and all this shit, you know? Not shit. It's, it's great stuff. Uh, but then I think about, well, what if I would have ended up on dialysis or needing surgery or prescription, expensive prescription medication, insulin, like whatever, right? So I always kind of think about this type of spending and I'm actually just investing not only my quality of life for right now, but I'm probably going to spend way less money later on and still have the vitality to work, hopefully as long as I feel like working to earn a living as well, you know? So it's that forward thinking. But when that system is created with the cooperation that you speak of rather than the competition, which I see not in your energy medicine realm, but sauna people can be very competitive. Mm -hmm. You know, the PEMF people, there's all these kind of genres in the biohacking and tech health space where, I don't know, just mattress companies are, are like that. You know, it's very, they're just sharks. I'm like, you guys, there's, what is there, 8 billion people on the planet that want to be happy and healthy? Like there's literally... Plenty of customers to go around for everyone, you know? What did Zach say? The inventor syndrome he was saying the other day on your podcast? I don't remember. Where inventors are like, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. I can't share anything. Like right. I share everything. I will tell you exactly how I made the egg, exactly how the music works. Um, even in my book, I write about all the stuff about the colors and what instruments do what. Because I feel like if you, the more energy, you sh- the information and energy you share, the more you get. It's like if you get you see a river with a dam. It's those are the people who are holding all that enter, uh, the information, and it's just damming up. Right. Uh, I don't have a dam in mind. It's like, let's go <laughs> share it all, share it all. Right on. And so I just had um, a friend of mine pass away. Um, he had the most brilliant mild silver protein. He passed away. His legacy is completely gone. He didn't oh, share wow. anything, and so you know his product was helped tens of thousands of people and it's just gone. Everything is gone. Wow. He didn't share it with anybody because he thought the more information I have, the more valuable I am. Right. And he didn't leave a legacy. Damn. Well, that's a great lesson for us to end on. Uh, Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I've got one closing question for you and it is this, Gail Lynn. Who have been three teachers or teachings in your life that you'd like to share with us? Uh, let's go with Roger Anthony. He uh, created the a business called Crocodiles, Not li- uh, Water Lilies. And he taught me in a seminar one time that um, I was kind of a little bit antsy and anxious and he passed me a note and it said L-I-F-E. Let it flow effortlessly. Changed my life. That's one. And I know we're just going quick. I could tell you another hundred stories about him. Um, The Dalai Lama, how he said, we spend all of our life 
working to make money and then we spend the rest of our life spending all our money to get our health back because we worked and compromised our health by making all that money. And then the third one is Wayne Dyer. Got to bring him into this. When you change the way you see things, the things you see will change. Oh, love it. Create your own reality. Yeah, Wayne Dyer was one of the first teachers I ever got into. I used to listen to his tapes over and these, remember those big cassette boxes, you know, you'd get at seminars. Back when I had a cassette player in the car in the 90s, man, I was listening. I mean, we had CDs by then, but I had a lot of them were only on cassette, but I used to listen to him for hours yeah. and hours and hours. I, inter- I interviewed his daughter, wow. Serena, I think it was yeah, about a year ago or something. She was really lovely too. She had some great stories about about her dad and it was very meaningful, you know, because the impact he had on my life yeah. too. Yeah. I got to meet him and my dad saw the picture and he was squeezing me so tight and my dad's like, who is that guy? Why is he, <laughs> t- why is he hugging you like that? I'm like, it's Wayne Dyer. It's Wayne Dyer. He's cool. He's cool. He, he's cool. I gave him permission. All right. Thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. And keep up the good work. Thanks. Okay, that's what's up, my friends. We just brought it home with episode 445. I'll be back next Tuesday with a real smasher. No joke. Episode 446 will feature the holistic psychologist on outgrowing toxic relationships and people-pleasing with one of my favorites, Dr. Nicole LaPera. I had an incredibly expansive conversation with Nicole, and my sense is that it's going to really hit home for many of you as well. Dr. Nicole is simply brilliant and just so skilled at the craft of helping people learn and grow. So please make sure to click follow or subscribe on your podcast app so it doesn't slip your feed. And before we get out of here, I'm going to humbly request that if you're enjoying the episodes we send your way every week, if you could please take five minutes to leave a rating and review on iTunes, it would mean so much to me. And this is quite easy to do nowadays if you're listening on the Apple Podcast app. And you'd be surprised how much a small gesture like this helps the show and, of course, yours truly. And uh, here's the inside baseball, by the way, on why podcasters always beg and grovel for ratings and reviews. I'm sure you've noticed that if you listen to other podcasts. Well, in the podcast game, your success is based on your reach. And one of the ways you reach more people is by being highly rated and reviewed. So that's why I'm making this request of you, if you'd be so kind. And if not, you know, just keep listening and share the episode with friends. But it really does help if you take a moment to uh, share your thoughts and feelings on what we do here. And speaking of what we do, together, we just hit 10 million downloads last month, which was an incredible birthday present. So thank you for helping me hit that benchmark. And thanks in advance for helping me hit the next one by leaving a rating and review in iTunes. And before we dip out of here, don't forget to head up lukestory.com slash harmonic egg to find an egg facility near you or to even explore getting one for yourself if that's how you roll. All right, adios amigos. I'll be back inside your mind on Tuesday with Dr. Nicole LaPera, the holistic psychologist. Psychologist.